I'd like to thank the congregation on behalf of my family and myself uh, for your very generous gift last week. Uh, it's very much appreciated after a difficult year we've had. Uh, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts, bottoms of our hearts, and uh, we, we love you folks very much. Thank you so much uh, for all your love and support this year. Also, just a reminder that it's a fifth Sunday. There'll be, of course, no children's church this morning. It does look like uh, some busy packs have been uh, distributed. Thank you, Ben, for working on those. Since there's no children's church this morning, I do have a story that I found online that even the kids may like. As we ease into our uh, message entitled, The Lamb Crucified, it involves a uh, traffic patrolman. Oh, great. <laughs> traffic patrolman, this is not mine, I found it online again, I think I said that. Traffic patrolman on the uh, north side of Detroit stopped a driver of a van, driver of a van has a sheep buckled into the front seat of the vehicle. What in the world are you doing with that sheep, asked the policeman. You ought to take it to the zoo. Week later, the same patrolman saw the exact same man with the exact same van with the sheep again in the front seat, both of them wearing sunglasses. The patrolman pulls the vehicle over and said to the driver, I thought you were going to take that sheep to the zoo. I did, the driver replied. We had such a good time this weekend, we're going to the beach. <laughs> that was bad, and that was for Luke. Is this really how you're going to start the message today, preacher, with sheep jokes? Just one more? No. But sheep have been, this is kind of a serious subject today, uh, sheep have been the punchline of a lot of jokes and put-downs, perhaps unfairly. If you ever stop and thought about that, it's, it's troubling. Um, after politicians and lawyers, it's not easy being sheep. An article from the BBC explains that uh, sheep are intelligent, they're complex, they're sociable. These are all words that we would quickly assign to humans, but we wouldn't dream of extending these words to describe sheep because they're those fluffy white creatures that we see milling about in fields. Maybe we see them served up with mint sauce on our dinner plates. Nowadays, to be a sheep is someone who mindlessly follows others, isn't it? Uh, the classic UK rock band Pink Floyd on their 1970s concept album Animals characterized the British working class as sheep, quote, mindlessly passing time in the grassland away. Million points for me. I've always wanted to reference Pink Floyd in a sermon. Yes! Back home in the States, sheep aren't exactly the most popular animal around the farm. As a domestic product, it turns out, raised for both wool and food, the U.S. sheep herd today is just one-tenth what it was in the 1940s. Uh, we would rather have cow or pig. In this part of the country, it seems deer. I don't know how much venison you people have fed me, but it's a lot more than I ever had way down south in Indiana. I know that for sure. You go down there, jerky, yeah, but besides that, I don't, I don't know. But lamb is not an overall favorite for Americans. It does, however, have special significance for Christians. Has special significance for Christians. Last week, we celebrated the birth of Jesus. Uh, John 1.29 refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the words of John the Baptist, of course. Christ's submission in eternity is the word. Through his being born to Mary and Joseph, 
These revelations of Scripture find fulfillment in Jesus' crucifixion on the cross for your sins, for my sins. But maybe we wonder, maybe we ask from time to time, maybe it puzzles us a bit, uh, why uh, is Jesus called the Lamb of God? What is this ultimate act of submission on the cross? Show us about Christ. And furthermore, as we go from there, as we end this series together, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for those of us who follow Jesus? In this uh, final fifth part of this sermon series, uh, we're going to answer these two questions this morning. Mentioned to you previously, the birth of Christ, we celebrated it uh, last week. This New Testament uh, event, the fulfillment of many promises made to humankind in the old, wasn't it? Fulfillment of many promises. Several weeks ago, we specifically discussed Genesis 3.15. You remember that message. This is where the, the offspring of the, the woman Eve, we read, one day will bruise the head of the serpent. It's the first messianic uh, piece of, of prophecy we find in our Bibles. Just three chapters into uh, the text. Starting with just one couple leaving the garden. God's plan is already coming to light. Well, as humanity grew as it multiplied from Adam and Eve into many nations over time, God would keep, he would preserve his people. Eventually, these people would be called Israel. Chosen people for the very purpose of one day bearing the offspring promised to Adam and Eve, the Christ child, Genesis 12. Only one problem, the sin problem. Christ wouldn't be born, live, and die on the cross for a few thousand years. So in the meantime, to tone, to cover these sins of God's people, a sacrificial system would be commanded of the Israelites of God's people. Romans 8.3, Hebrews 10. And stay with me here because this is important. Leads up to uh, all we believe and all we're here for. Three observed festivals or feasts would become a part of God's expectations for the Hebrew people. We read this in the Bible. One of these feasts would be called Passover. The other two, if you're curious, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. This feast called Passover that God would command his people to observe. It would come to include a special meal, S-E-D-E-R, the cedar or the seder meal. I'm a Hoosier. I don't know how I'm supposed to pronounce that up here. Seder? Cedar? Oh, Seder. Okay, we'll go with that. They probably pronounce it down uh, like that in Indiana. I just don't know how to say the word. The Seder meal featured unleavened bread. <clears throat> but the most important food item at Passover, can you guess what it was? Lamb. Lamb. Most important. Most important. Now let's jump in and read from God's word uh, when this is established and how the Lord Jesus ultimately fulfilled the bloodshed of this different animal altogether. Let's look at Exodus chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. God gives the following instructions to his people under Moses. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Hard for us today to think that this was something that was actually done for God, but it was. 
And we're already getting glimpses here, aren't we, of the ultimate submission of the Christ. That's the cool part. That's the part I like about this Old Testament text. The night of the first Passover celebration on the timeline, it took place at the same time as God's 10th plague against Pharaoh in Egypt. Do you remember that? On this occasion, not only was the Passover lamb prepared to be roasted and eaten in verse 8, the Bible also says that the lamb's blood, the blood of the lamb, hint, hint, blood of the lamb was also to be applied to the tops and the sides of the doorways, the houses in which the Israelites were eating it. Do you remember that purpose? The purpose of that blood on the doorways? Exactly. If you've got your Bibles open, jump down to verses 21 to 23. If you don't, that's okay. We don't have this text up there. But if you remember, the 10th plague was the striking down of all the firstborn in Egypt. Interestingly enough, as the Lord would pass through the nation, he would pass over the households with the blood of the lamb applied to the doorways. Without the blood of the lamb applied to the house, the firstborn of that house would be struck down, remember? The covering of the blood then would save the Israelites. Such powerful imagery for us today. During that first Passover, with so many of the firstborn among Egypt being struck down by God, what happened? What was the outcome? Pharaoh released the Israelite slaves. But the significance of the Passover wouldn't end with just one night. That would be incredible enough if it had. But in verse 24 of the same chapter in Exodus, chapter 12, God reminds Israel to continue the celebration of Passover, to remember his delivering them from death. The sacrifice of a lamb required for that first Jewish Passover when God literally passed over, required year after year as a memorial, Exodus 12, 14. And do you think God just wanted them to go through this because he likes people going through the motions? Probably not. There's probably another reason why God would expect this of his people. Perhaps God was building up to something else. Another kind of Passover. As Israel grew over the years, Passover did too. Think about this. Uh, The people of Israel observing the first Passover in their homes. In time, the city of Jerusalem itself would become the central location for celebration. Instead of a simple household observance, Passover became a pilgrimage festival. Think on this. By the time of Jesus, Jewish people everywhere would make their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Many historians uh, guess that up to 200,000 Israelites made the pilgrimage to the holy city each year. That's a good-sized crowd. How would you like to drive through a crowd of 200,000? Maybe this will help us picture it this morning. Uh, I've used this illustration before. I'm going to borrow it again this morning. 185 miles north of this church building is, uh, it, it's again, you know, more Hoosier jokes. It's pronounced the Mackinac Bridge, right? Even though there's a C on the end. I, I, need, I still need some education on this. This bridge, the Mackinac Bridge, the internet tells me, by the way, we, my family and I still haven't been, at, been there to it ourselves. We're not, we're not true Michigander converts yet. But this Mackinac Bridge, the internet tells me, this place has this annual la- Labor Day walk, right? From one end to the other. It sounds pretty neat. Has anybody here actually done that? Done the, the Labor Day walk? Labor Day walk. This event, I understand, in 1958 had about 68 attendees. 
its first run. On average today on Labor Day, which I've been told is, is not the time to go visit the place, 80,000 people are there on average every year today on Labor Day. That's incredible. That's a big crowd. That's enough of a crowd to not want to drive around or through. But if we double that crowd plus half again, that's the size of the crowd in Jerusalem jammed into this ancient city for Passover. That's quite a few people. But by the end of the first century, keep in mind that that, that wouldn't be uh, the case anymore. Just a few decades after Christ ascended by uh, 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed entirely by the Romans. So Passover celebrations where they were still being observed would eventually return to Jewish homes, I'm sure. But hopefully this has given you an idea of, wow, crowd control at Passover uh, at Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Here's uh, another fun fact. Speaking of Jesus being in the city at the time of Passover, here's an important scriptural link from Old Testament Passover practice to church practice that takes shape today. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 22, if you have Bibles handy. Luke chapter 22, verse 8. Just one day before Jesus, spoiler alert, the Lamb of God, perfect and without blemish, was crucified just one day before that happened. Jesus sent Peter and John into the city. It was crowded. Few people there. Double Mackinac Bridge on Labor Day plus half over. Jesus told the two disciples, it's Passover, so go prepare the meal for us that we might eat it together. And so Peter and John went into the city if you can picture the size of the crowd in your minds, it's no wonder that Jesus gave Peter and John some instructions on where they were to go, on how they were going to get to the house with the upper room, how they are going to find it. Later that day, as Jesus shared that Passover, shared that Seder meal with his disciples in an upper room within Jerusalem, he took it upon himself to use the occasion to institute what? Lord's Supper. The New Testament church still gathers for today. We just did it a little while ago, saying, do this in remembrance of me, Luke twenty-two nineteen. So we just ate the bread. We just drank the cup of this supper, the main reason for this service. That's why we traditionally like it at the center of our service. Because the Lord has called us to do so still today, this Seder meal, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. 26. Amen? Might ask, aren't Christians continuing to celebrate a passing over of the angel of death? The answer to that is, you betcha. Because one day after that last supper, that Seder meal, Lord's Supper, the Lamb was crucified for the sins of the world. The Lamb was crucified. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 to 8, Paul explains this time of the table, the significance for the church today. He's writing to the new church of Corinth. And he says this, we have this one on the overhead. Verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Did you hear those words? Changing of the guards. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He goes on in verse 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread 
of sincerity and truth. You see, the old Passover celebration, all the commandments given to God's people under Moses regarding animal sacrifices for atonement, following the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, meant substitute animals were constantly dying in the place of the sinner, in place of the person sinning, but only temporarily. And you know, when you think of that, it's really amazing that God's people had the time or the inclination to even sin in the first place, isn't it? But as we know, they did. The Old Testament's full of those examples of, of that sin. And today, brothers and sisters, again, when we come to the table of the Lord, it's not yearly. We have the example in Scripture the disciples met the first day of the week. So what we mean on the first day of the week, we remember that our Passover lamb has been sacrificed once and for all, carrying on that tradition, just as the Passover lamb's blood caused a passing over each Israelite household. Christ's applied blood causes God's judgment to pass over God's people today, Romans 6.23. Now what's amazing to me is how Jesus meets the description of God's required Passover lamb down to the details. For example, the Bible says that at his crucifixion, Jesus was so badly beaten, so badly beaten even before he got to the cross, that he was beyond recognition. The Bible says there, is, there was not a bone broken in his body. John 19.33. This is fulfilling Exodus 12.46. We like to say that Christ fulfilled the Old Testament. This is so true. As we shared today in the Lord's Supper, did you take the body and the blood of the lamb to heart? The one-time sacrifice. Did you realize I too am offered a place in this fulfillment, in this crucifixion, in this submission? But I asked the question earlier, what does Christ's submission show us about Jesus? What does this likewise mean for those of us who follow? I think for starters, I think the cross certainly has plenty to say about the character of the Christ, doesn't it? Has plenty to say about the person, Jesus. God didn't have to save us this way, did he? He didn't have to show how he feels for us in this manner, but it was his prerogative you know, occasionally you hear atheists, you hear naysayers of faith, those people I like to call non-believers of grace because that's what they are. Non-believers who make statements about Christianity such as, why believe in a God that has to save his creation from himself? You hear things like this. And the answer is this. Through God's people, over the course of this Old Testament, over the span of the Bible, God chose to create a timeline. If you open your Bible and you flip through the pages, so that those that know him would be able to clearly see just how much he loves them. That's why. Through God's people, I'll say it again, and over the course of history, up to and through the death of Jesus, God established a timeline so that those who know him would be able to clearly see just how much he loves them. That's the significance. And, of course, that we would be able to choose to love Jesus in return. See, that's, that's my prerogative. That's my choice. You know, the more we learn about what happened on the timeline before the birth of Jesus, the more we understand our need for Jesus, the more we say, oh, I get it. That's why I need a Savior. I'm really no good on my own. Things in my life turn out quite a bit like the book of Judges. 
My parents had a small poster hanging on the wall when I was a kid. Maybe you saw something like it. It read, how much do you love me, Jesus? This much, he said, and he stretched out his arms and died. Do we understand the significance of the submission of the Christ? That's what this is all about. God loved us to death. Literally. He loved us to death. How else could God communicate how he regards his creation without such a thing as sacrifice? Over the last four to five weeks of this series, we've talked through several key points in the Bible as they relate to the submission of the Christ. But if you wonder today, how am I all these years later, after he's been born, after Jesus has been born and lived and been crucified and rose again and ascended, how exactly do I get to know Jesus Christ better well, the answer, of course, is spend time in God's Word. And it doesn't matter where you do that. It's all by Him, and it's all about Him. Just uh, Jesus testified to this Himself in John 5, 39-47. We want to get to know more about, understand better, the One who loved me this much. Spend time in that thing. I remember a time too well in my life when I, I didn't exactly devote uh, the hours to my Bible. I, I'm sure I still don't today. But there was a time I, I, I definitely didn't. At this point in my life, I thought I had it all figured out. You know what I mean? I didn't exactly need moralistic stories of an ancient date to benefit my life. At the time, I even called myself a Christian. At some point, I began taking my faith in God seriously, and one night it hit me, if I truly believe God wrote this book, this collection of books, why wouldn't I want to be reading it? Why wouldn't I want to be pouring over it, getting into more and more of it? Wouldn't it be helpful to me as a so-called Christian, holding 66 individual books, love letters, right here to mankind, all signed with love from Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God crucified? So one night I decided I wanted to start digging in more. Not just knowing some of the verses that we all like to quote and say and uh, show up on, on stickers and things, but things like Nahum. Things that maybe had something to say to me. I decided one night I wanted to devour these love letters cover to cover. Spoiler alert, don't try to do it all one in one night. <laughs> maybe Jude. But here's the thing that it hit me. It is actually possible at any point during my time away from corporate church worship to pick up a Bible and read it. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. My eyes are designed for other things besides Facebook and TV. Hard to believe, but it's true. And food. And at one point, I started reading out of my Bible, taking it seriously during personal study time, taking notes of different things I'd read. I was curious about or things I didn't understand. Bring these notes back to the church building uh, with me at study or even during Sunday worship so I could talk and ask questions about God's word to other believers in Christ at the church and the elders and the minister. One topic I remember asking a lot of questions about during this period of my study, specifically the Old Testament. Besides, of course, where in the world did Cain get his wife? Throw that one at your minister right before he gets up to preach a sermon. Sin atonement. 
Sin atonement, God's way of handling sin. Exodus chapter 29, where God gives a list of all the different animals that he required to be brought to the temple for the consecration of the priests, bulls and rams, the pleasing aroma before the Lord found in the temple sacrifices. I found this topic of sin covering just as significant to the Old Testament as I always knew it was to the New. So that the Bible continues, the Lord would dwell among the people of Israel and be their God. The reason for it. Some of these sacrifices were daily. Some of them were twice a day. Again, when did we have time to sin? The first century historian Josephus calculated that around 200,000 lambs were offered by the Israelites upon the altar Passover time every year. How do you think those priests uh, smelled when they left for the day? Oh man, I'm going to get me a shower before I go bowling. You know what I'm saying? Knowing Jesus has paid the price for your sin today, not just why, but also the how, it will make all the difference for your faith. There's some preachers today that might say things such as, uh, we need to unhitch our ponies from the Old Testament. Don't do that. In fact, I encourage you to read it more than you might already be reading it because you get to know so much more about your maker and his love for his people. And again, answering that question, what does Christ's submission as that Lamb of God mean for us? Well, simply put, it means we're sheep too. John 10, 27. There's a verse you might make a note of, John 10, 27. But again, it doesn't mean we're senseless. It means that we're made to submit. One author describes sheep... Well... To be honest with you, there's a few authors out there that describe sheep, but here's one that's uh, related to what we're talking about. One author describes sheep in this way, quote, what is mistaken for stupidity, a sheep's herd mentality, is actually given to them for their protection. Sheep are best known for their strong flocking and following instinct. They'll run from what frightens them and band together in large groups for protection. This means that when the church of sheep, when we follow the submission of Jesus Christ in showing God's love to the nations, in being who we are, who the Bible calls us to be, in all these things that we do, we don't do these things because we're blinded by religion, because we're mindless, brainless, bah. We follow Jesus together as one, my friends, because it's the only way we're going to stay safe within the herd. Because we have an enemy on the prowl. Author continues, when one sheep moves, the rest will follow. That's the way God made them. That's the way God designed them. Even from birth, lambs are taught to follow the older members of the flock. Works when the uh, church runs that way too. A sheep will become highly agitated if it is separated from the rest of the flock. How do we do when we're separated from the rest of our brothers and sisters? It doesn't work out so well for us, does it? When we submit to Jesus Christ, when we truly put on Christ, when we become Christians, we will also be submitting to one another. It's got to be part of it. Christians should never desire to follow Jesus all by themselves. We're meant to learn from, live with, give to, take from, and take care of each other. Give of ourselves to the one herd following the leader home. Safety in numbers when we're numbered in the Lamb's book of life. Amen?
That's the significance for those of us who follow the crucified lamb. This morning, though, we must keep in mind that although we are saved by the lamb's blood, the lamb crucified, we have to make that choice to be covered in that blood. Despite all of our sin, thousands of years worth, there is still one willing to pay the price of death for each one of us if we'll hear his voice. And this is conditional. This is, this is conditional. We must hear his voice. We must listen to it. There's an old story told regarding a conversation in a dugout full of wounded men during the First World War. One of the men, badly wounded, only had moments to live, and he knew it. A companion of his had seen a rough start to a difficult life. He'd made some poor choices. He'd even served time. He was a wanted man, in fact, and the police were looking for him back home. The wounded man who was dying pulled the wanted man down in, in the dugout closely to him. He grabbed his, his dog tag and his ID chain, and he pressed it in the man's hand, and he said, Listen, listen, Dominic, you've led a bad life. You've been no good. He went on, You're wanted by the police, but, friend, there are no... No convictions against me. I've got a clear name, and so here, take my dog tag and take my wallet, take my papers, take my identity, take my good name, take my life, and quickly hand me your papers so that I may carry all your crimes away with me in death. That's the cross. That's the offer. That's what Jesus, the Lamb of God, calls to us, saying from the cross at Calvary. That's the submission of the Christ. Because of his passing over, because of the resurrection, you too can take his good name, Christ. You too have that offer. Become a Christian. Know eternal life. Follow him in the death and resurrection at the waters of baptism. Remember the passing over. Because the Lamb was crucified. If you will submit to Him as He first submitted for you. Would you pray with me? Lord, today we, we get caught up in following so many things and so many people. Lord, we live in a world that is, is blinded by itself and blinded by uh, so many other gods, so many desires, Lord. The temptation to be drawn to power, to people and things of, of power and might. Lord, this is always upon us. And, oh, Lord, you've revealed the example of submission of sacrifice, of giving yourself up. You who are great and mighty and powerful and sovereign and above all and creator of all and maker of all, you love us so much. And Lord, when we open your word, we can see. We can see that love over the generations. Your patience with us in times when we've, we've been rebellious, we've wandered away. 
And yet we've seen you continually reach out for us. Come back after us. Not leaving behind the flock. Even one. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for for this uh, bottom-up example of love. Of service. And Lord, help us in, in the culture that we live in, in the, in the times in which we live, to remember that that's still the way you work. And ultimately, it's, it's still the way we are made as well. <clears throat> Lord, help us be servants in the lives of others. God, convict us in those areas of our lives where instead of the example of a lamb, instead of a, a flock that we, we too are a part of and that we travel with, forgive us, Lord, when, when we want to stand out and when we want to chase after other things. Help us remember that you've given us your church for our protection. And that ultimately, listening to you is the only way we're going to make it home safe. Lord, we know one day you're going to return. You're going to return and call us home. Help us to be ready. And help us to reach out to our neighbors and our friends and our family and all those around us so that they may be ready too. Lord, we, 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 can't, we can't wrap our minds around your love, but we thank you for it. Who are we that you are mindful of us? We thank you for submission. Help us to also be people who submit. It is in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. Where does it all begin? Acts 2.38 church begins at Pentecost. We enter the kingdom at that point. We go down into those waters of baptism. We come up a new creation. We follow the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We become a different kind of animal, don't we? If you haven't made that decision, follow the good shepherd. Take your place among his people all the way home. We invite you to do that today. Who has the victory? No one has the victory except Jesus. And today as we stand, if you have a public decision to make, we invite you to come forward. If you don't, sing as loud, sing as proud, sing as bold as you can. For each one of us has victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? This is an old song I know we all know, so let's sing it like it's 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 a victory call home because it is. We have victory in the Lamb of God.